I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to episode 136 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live stream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary singer, songwriter and musician, Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. And on this episode, I thought, hey, let's celebrate the 40th anniversary of the start of the Style Council and that incredible release of the single Speak Like a Child, March the 11th, 1983. I really wanted to chat to somebody who knows what it's like to sing and perform that band's incredible songs live on stage to adoring audiences. And in the absence of Paul Weller for this podcast series so far, I turned to Darren Fletcher, the fella behind the Style Counselors, an incredible tribute to the mighty Style Council. Formed in 2013, the band have built a loyal fan base for the group, which was Paul Weller's musical home from 1983 to 1989, and where he wrote some of his finest pop songs. The band replicate the very best from the back catalogue, and not only do they replicate the vocal and the sound of the songs, but they also use the same original instruments to recreate the exact style and feel of the extensive original lineup, including that swirling Hammond organ, the Mick Talbot sound, and that classic horn section, the honorary council as well. They're as close as it actually gets to being back there back in the 1980s. Let's get into it. My very special guest, the style counsellors, Darren Fletcher. Hey, Darren, thanks for joining me. Uh, it's a pleasure, mate. It's a pleasure. Now, look, Darren, I'm really excited about talking to you. I was thinking about this this morning, right? There are very few people in this world who know what it's like to be Paul Weller in the sense that getting up on a big stage, performing to loads of people and singing those songs. And I think it's Russell Hastings, the jam from the jam. And it's you. There's probably lots and lots of, um, lots and lots of guys that, you know, that, that play Paul's songs. And I can't confess that, you know, I know what it's like to be Paul. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that off the, you know, right off, but in some kind of micro, environment i do get the idea of what it's like and that was one of the reasons kind of that i i, I did this in the first place pretty i guess like russell started off in in pub bands and and then you know went round doing lots of uh, lots of pub gigs 
And then eventually, you know, I was a big fan of Paul's music from way back. We started introducing those and those, those were the songs that went down well. So we started making the set predominantly jam and Paul Weller stuff in a four or five piece kind of environment. And they, it was, you know, we did that for maybe, I don't know, five or six years. And then, uh, and then I thought about the style. Style Council was really my band. I got into the jam at the end, at the end of their kind of career. Just, I was just leaving school as they split. And I didn't get to see the jam, but I was aware of them and I, I bought a few of their records, but never got the chance to go. But the Style Council, 83, when they kicked off, was kind of the band I followed. And they, they just kind of, they grabbed me, you know, they, the, the look, the sound, all swagger with it, you know, and it, their style, the way they went about things just, you know, caught my attention big time. And then, uh, you know, fast forward to maybe 2013, 2014, I, I thought I'll give this a go. I'd, I'd always liked the idea of playing in a band with brass. So, uh, yeah, I, I did, um, the kind of jam stuff that we were doing in pubs that we were doing it relentless and it had got, got to a point where we were doing going underground three or four times a week. <laughs> and I was a great as song as it is, you know, that's, that's probably enough for anybody. So yeah, I, I kind of got a few musicians, put a few adverts out and got, got some different musicians in and put this band together and, and give it a go. And it, and it came together, you know, one of the first rehearsals where we got some brass guys in, just the, the sound straight away lifted and the style council was kind of, a band that I wanted to be in when, when I heard them and I, uh, you know, I went to see them lots of times. I thought that's the band I want to be in. And obviously that, you know, that couldn't happen in them days. You know, there was no social media. So, so kind of connecting with a, with a band. It's a lot easier today. You can ping someone a message on, on social media and almost connect with them immediately. In them days, you know, you had to go and hang about outside, I guess, gig venues at two o'clock in the afternoon, hoping to catch a glimpse. And it was all mystical and magical. So that added to it, all that mystique added to it. And I thought that feeling, when, when the Style Council were around, it was a pretty drab time for the UK. I remember I just started work. I was working in a factory environment. I'd just started an apprenticeship, but I saw all the politics and, and, and was on the radio, the miners' strike, the Falklands War. It was a pretty drab time. And the Style Council crowd were kind of like a club. And I felt it was kind of like a, like you belong to it, you know, by being a fan. And the idea when it's doing this tribute to it was, was to try and recreate that primarily for myself. You know, to recreate that that kind of feeling of a group and, and hopefully give some people that were fans like me the, the chance to come and, and just have a nice night out and listen to those tunes again, put your white Levi's on and come and have a dance and, you know, just recapture a little bit of what I felt back in, in the early 80s. That was the plan, yeah. Well, look, with 40 years now on since the creation of that band, that starts Speak Like a Child, right? So, um, and we'll take you back to those first gigs, what your memories of hearing hearing those first songs and things. But as you were saying that, hearing the um, about the strikes on the radio and the Falklands War, I mean, here we are for 40 years later and there's the war in Ukraine um, we've got everybody on strike it, it would appear this and this cost of living crisis and inflation and all that these lyrics that you're singing still mean something don't they so, and does that matter to you as, a, as a, somebody who's singing them that actually it's not just it's not just a nice sound and it's not just these are jolly things to sing along to but actually there's meaning behind the words that Paul was writing in the Style Council often big time I mean I can't honestly say that when I'm singing, I'm, I'm thinking about the effect they'll have. You know, I can't say that because the, the songs are kind of ingrained in me now. I've been, been a fan of those songs so, so long. I can't really say that I kind of, I feel about them the same way that Paul and Mick did when they wrote those, those songs. But, but one, one song that goes down well is Homebreakers that we've recently started doing again. 
I, I often say, you know, we've, we've recently started playing this again due to the uh, the kind of economic climate we find ourselves in. This really strikes a chord. And that, that one song, the lyrics I do think about, and possibly Walls as well, you know, they're two of the most prominent ones, I guess. They've obviously got a real strong meaning. And they, they meant a lot at the time, you know, which is one of the reasons I love Paul's stuff. The storytelling and the message behind his songs is so clever. The way he interweaves the words with a melody. If you read them on a page, they don't rhyme, some of them. You think it's, it's more like a poem than, than a song. And then he puts it to a melody and it just, it sounds like the first time you hear these songs, it sounds like you've heard them before. They're, 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 the melodies are so strong, you know, and you don't often find that with other bands. You know, I listen to lots of bands, but Paul's got this, enviable ability to sing such a strong melody and get a strong message across in such a clever way. It's, it's really impressive. And to this day, yes, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Are there songs that are more challenging than others? I mean, immediately I'm thinking something like Money Go Round, for instance. Are there songs that you just, you won't attempt because actually to do that live is, is like, that's too difficult? Well, we do Money Go Round. Yeah, we do Money Go Round. Well, we've, we've probably had a crack at, you know, 90% of the, of the, of the tricky songs, some of which Paul never played live. I don't believe he played, um, Life at the Top People's Health Farm. But, you know, the guy, the guys that, that play the brass for us, they're great players and they've, they've written the parts out and, you know, we've got an arrangement. So, you know, it sounds really strong. But the one, the ones that I kind of shy away from are the ones where there's like, you know, the vocals are really tricky. They're really, you know, I'm, I'm no Paul in the, in the vocal stakes. But some of them are pretty high, right? I, yeah, they're the, they're the ones that are challenging. <laughs> yeah, I've done kind of 50s, knocking 50s. I think he avoids those now <laughs> as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he was, he was 18 when he was, you know, like early 20s at, at least when he was, when he was singing those. So yeah, so it, it can be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> now take me back to those singles then. So when, when those first singles, that first run of singles before Cafe Blur arrived and they were knocking out of the park, weren't they, with those? Um, what did they mean to you getting that, those seven inches, those 12 inches and, and what are your memories of those days? And, and that first gig, I'd love to hear about that as well. The songs when speak like a child came out you know it was it was all a bit mysterious because all all that the advertising blurb was was a black sleeve with a with just the yellow so you didn't know who was in the band for, for the lack of social media all you saw was what was in melody maker or nme back in the day and um so it was all a bit of a mystery you know and you, you was kind of on a thursday night where hoping they'd make top of the pop so you could see it was actually playing on the record you know for me there's obviously back then there was a lot of people that was in the know but i wasn't one of them you know i was i was one of those that was waiting to see back then records meant a lot more than they did i think i've heard a few other people say this but back then you you couldn't wait for the release date and you you went along to the record shop and you bought this new single and if it had a 12 inch to go with it you'd buy that you know you'd read all the blurb on the back and particularly the style council songs they had a, you know they had a little thing going with a cappuccino kid you know to string you along and then then the albums came along the gatefolds and, and they were just like pieces of art in themselves it was an excitement to get the record and, and put it on and sit and read through the lyrics and, and you know, read through the, the literature that came with it. That's sadly lacking today. You know, it's not the sort of thing you do with, you know, your, your Apple play and your. Yeah, it's funny, Spotify. isn't it? Cause even, to, even today, there are a couple of albums out that, um, I'm really looking forward to listening to and started this morning, but I asked the speaker in the corner to start playing. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not sat yeah. looking at anything. Nothing's in my hand because the vinyl, I probably have ordered the vinyl, but the vinyl's delayed like everything else, you know, but you haven't got that physical thing to kind of spend time with it and get engrossed in it and read the, and I couldn't yeah. tell you what the words are half the time, you know, initially it just takes repeat listens. I love that being able to look and you're taking it all in, you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to think when the first time I saw the council, it, it probably was. Probably was eighty four at the Dominion. I think they did a they did a show there. 
that would have been the first time. Uh, just trying to think. Well, I'll tell you what, let me grab off the shelf here. Uh, the Style Council, Mr. Cool's Dream, 1984. This is his uh, very special magazine, and we can look it up. So, um, so yeah, Council Meetings Part 1 would have been, when were that? Started in Chippenham, Gold Diggers, 10th of March. Yeah, it sounds about right. Uh, yeah, London Dominion. So there were two dates, actually, 14th and 15th. 15th was on BBC Radio. And I feel like this was the same, I feel like that was the same date. Would that have been the same date? I feel like that was the same date that Cafe Blur came out. That, that Style Council debut album. How surprising was that first album then? So around that time, that, that first gig, you're also digging into their first LP, which is very different. It's very diverse. And Paul was hardly singing on the first side. Well, that's right. I mean, I'm an Essex boy. Carl was living in Romford at the time. And I can remember when that came out, Cafe Blur, I went, to Romford Marketplace, which our price records was just off, off there. And I, I bought it and I, I jumped on the bus on the, put it, when I got back indoors, put it on the record player, as it was called in them days. I remember sitting there, like pouring over the album sleeve, listening and for kind of scratching me head a little bit, thinking, you know, he's going to sing in a minute, surely, you know. <laughs> so it took a good few listens. You know, obviously, you know, you, you kind of gravitate towards one or two tracks that are stand out initially. A gospel, yeah, that's yeah. I can remember that coming on and thinking, no, this is this is so far removed from the jam. Yeah, I mean, it's, it couldn't be any further, really. From no, like, no, or opposites I, in a way. I, I, I think that was intentional. You know, I, I think he he intended to this. He said it in himself, and he to put a lot of distance between between what he did in the jam and the new stuff. But that was even that, that even that was a surprise. You know, that was but but the standout tracks, the whole point of no return and and ever changing moods. Uh, you're the best thing. There were some ones that, again, we talked about just, just a little while ago, those strong melodies. They jumped straight out, you know, and, and fantastic songs. So the others took a couple of listens, you know, uh, and so they start, you know, you, you know, there's a, there's a few tracks on there, one or two that, that I'm not so keen on, but like, like anyone, when you think 40 years ago, and we're still listening, you know, you're still listening to those songs and they sound as good today as they did then. You know, I, I've been listening a little bit to, um, Salute Radio 80s. And some of the stuff that comes on there sounds just so dated. You know, Howard Jones came on and uh, some things like that. And I'm listening to the, the sounds that they use, they chose to use on the tracks and thinking this couldn't have been made in any other time. You listen to Ever Changing Moods and uh, You're the Best Thing. They, they could have been made three years ago. That's, I think that's what sets Paul apart. You know, he's got a timeless kind of aspect to his songwriting, which, yeah, not, not many other people can match. The other thing throughout the Star Council's career is this honorary counsellor. So initially the band was... Paul and Mick, it was a duo. And I think actually the contract with Polydor from the Sounds of Things was a Paul Weller solo contract from everything I've read. But it was basically Paul and Mick and all the advertising right at the beginning, all the marketing was Paul and Mick. But the honorary councillors, so Steve White initially, D was an honorary councillor initially before they became full-time members of the band, if you like. But all the way through, these honorary councillors are adding so much to the music. And there was a lovely moment last summer where you played Brighton, you played the exhibition, uh, yes. Nicky Weller's exhibition, and a bunch of the honorary councillors performed with you as well, right? They did, yeah, that was that was a bit special, yeah. It was uh, Jay, Ella Ruth. Jay Williams. Yeah, Jay Williams, uh, yeah. She she came down. I gave her I gave her a call, and she she agreed straight away. Yeah, she said I'd love to do it. Camille he agreed straight away, and Steve Sadunik. We'd spoke before because we'd played the Hundred Club before lockdown, and he came along with Nikki. Wait, back in back in the early days when we when we first kicked off, he came along. So he was he was kind of in touch. So I pinged him a message. Said, "Would you would you fancy it?" And he agreed. He'd struck up a kind of um, 
say friendship at that point, Dan, our percussion player, had hooked up with with Steve and had some conversations with him about percussion and drumming. And so he had he had a rapport with Steve and he, and he, and he, he pinged him a message, said, you know, is it a definite, can you make it? So Steve said, yeah, I'd love to come along. And then on the day, the guys just came along. We said, you know, what, how do you want to play it? Jake was up for singing the, the whole set pretty much. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, and Camille and, and Steve said, we'll, we'll, we'll sit back and let you guys do your thing and we'll perhaps come on in the encore and, and do... Uh, a couple of tunes there which they did was there any proper rehearsal or any time no, not at all none at all wow no no Camille 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 uh, messaged me and said what what song should we do so I said what well, we do pretty much everything that you, that you did at the time you know what, what do you fancy and I, I think it was he particularly wanted to do Walls uh, he wanted to do um, Headstar for Happiness and, and look, The Lodgers he was keen to do I said like there's the Home and Abroad album I said, they're, they're your versions on there. You're on it. Just never listen to them and we'll stick to that arrangement. So we'll play that arrangement. If you just freshen up on the part that you play on that, we'll hook up and, and, and run it on the day. So we did, you know, I've, I, we might have run, we might have run them through in sound check one of one of the tunes. It was a bit of a sight to look around and, and see Camille on the bass, you know, like just, just where he would have been 35 years ago. It was, yeah. And, and look across and, and, and see Jay and, and then Steve on, on the percussion. Yeah. It was, it, it was not, it was a nice touch. I really appreciate the guys coming down. And I think they enjoyed it. You know, they, they said they enjoyed it. So, uh. Yeah, it's interesting because I, even I was looking at the, um, there was like a style, style council in concert live album. And when you look at the front cover, it's literally, you know, Paul Weller, Mick Talbot, DC Lee, Steve White mentioned, but actually on half the tracks, it's not D, it's J. And it's a bit weird because right. I think it's almost a bit where she's kind of been rewritten out of Style Council history in a way. But that first kind of 18 months, it was very much a solid part of the band. Her and Paul, you know, a lot of the videos that we've, you know, the live videos we've got from that time, Jay was a massive part of that band. Certainly. She was at Chippenham, wasn't she? And then uh, I think she's she went to Japan, she was telling us. She went to Yeah, Japan. the Far East, Far Out video far is Jay, yeah. Yeah, she did. And she's gone on to do, um, she's gone on to work with some serious people. I don't know if she, have you had, have you had her Yeah, own? yeah, she was great. She's lovely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's gone on to work with some serious people. She was lovely, you know. She she just come along and just had a great time. It was lovely to see. Now, yeah. for you with the band, so when was it? It was it was 2013. So we're ten years in now, are we? 2013 was when I had the idea. The first show or gig we did was would have been July 2014. Yeah, so that that six months, I was I was kind of putting the band together, and the trickiest part was finding brass players. It's not. I wouldn't call it a closed shop, but if you don't know any, it's it's a bit of an uphill struggle trying to find brass players. You know, I was looking in the, the music directories, getting in touch with people, you know, and they were saying, yeah, we'll have a go. And they, they turn out to be, you know, kind of school concert players. Didn't work out. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I, I got in touch with uh, a couple of people who were in the BBC orchestra and they, they wanted 500 quid a rehearsal each. <laughs> I'm guessing you know those really budget. Yeah, so we'll, yeah. yeah, we'll give them a swerve for now. And uh, and, it, and it was my wife that, that had the idea. She said, "Why don't you try the local kind of woodwind and brass shop, a place that sells trumpets? You know, why don't you try there?" So I did. I popped in and I said, "Do you know any brass players?" And uh, the guy said, "Yeah, you you need trumpet Trev." <laughs> It all makes me laugh now. <laughs> I definitely need Trumpy Trev. Where's he live? So he, he put us in touch, and, and sure enough, Trev Irving, who's uh, still our trumpet player now, he, him and him and uh, a couple of the guys that he'd played with over the years, 
Uh, they they kind of raised their eyebrows when I first showed them what I wanted to do. I said, "This is this is the plan," and they kind of raised their eyebrows and kind of had a little chuckle. But then then they came to a rehearsal and, and, and we played through with a few of the tracks. They kind of got it, and uh, we've been together ever since. You know, and uh, it's and am I right in thinking they they play with bad manners as well? Is they that did, the, Dave, yeah, Dave Dave on trombone. He still goes out occasionally with Doug. Tony Arden on sax and, and Trev, they spent a big part of their, their musical career touring with Bad Manners and they've got some fantastic stories, which I, I won't repeat here, you know. <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but. But, but they're great players and they're, they're, they're great lads. And the thing is with the brass section, I mean, how important was that to the Style Council in those those early days? I mean, goodness me. I mean, Stuart Pross has been on the podcast recently, Hilary, Hilary Robertson. In fact, I think most of the porn section have all been on now. The thing about your band is you've got that that sound, that replication, it's, it's on point. You've clearly worked to that to get that. But Definitely. how much yeah. does that evolve and become your own versus imitation? My approach to things, Dan, is, is is all or nothing. If I don't see a lot of point in doing it, if you can't give it everything you got, you know, and do it to the best of your ability, it's not, there's no point. So when the guys come along, and Tony, Tony writes out most of the parts on sax, and he'll, he'll write the, if we say we're going to do this tune, he'll, he'll write the parts, he'll listen to all the different versions, he'll write the parts out, then we'll, we'll you know, in a sound check, we'll run the parts, and he'll say, what do you think? And, and we'll, we'll, you know, kind of mull it over until it's perfect, until until we're happy with it. And he's, and he's done some cracking arrangements. I mean, he's put some brass onto uh, a tune called Luck, off of our favourite shop, he's he's wrote he's wrote a brass part for that, which which now it seems weird playing the song without it. And he's I love that. So you're adding brass to songs that didn't yeah, have brass yeah, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not not for the sake of it, not for no, every no. tune, you know. But but certain ones we think it'll work. You know, we've tried some and it don't work. So you know, and long at summer, there's an arrangement we've done just to bring it a little bit into the 21st century so it comes across a little bit better live. There's you know there's a brass part at the end of that that Tony's wrote. And embellish, but yeah, but but for the others, head start of happiness, walls, you know, that they have got to be exactly right, or as close as we can get them. You know, I mean, I'm not sure you can say 100, percent but as, as close as you can possibly get it. That's important to us because, like you say, they're iconic parts of the tracks, and you know, it's uh, it makes the difference getting it right to me, anyway. And obviously, so much of the live experience is about performance. How much of it is in your heads? Talk me through Mick and. And Steve White and D as well, <laughs> but you're Paul Weller. Yeah, how much of it are you trying to channel what he delivered in that band as a performer versus actually this is just you performing the songs? I mean, you're, you're not an impersonator, obviously. This is not stars in their eyes, but at the same time, are you you know that look and feel and how he performs and and the likewise from Mick and all that is it is that part of the the concept? Well, Paul's got um, a particular style, so I'm, I wouldn't go out, you know, putting a wig on. But, you know, the, the style council dressed in a certain way, you know, so we dress in that kind of flavour. And Paul played the guitar in a certain way, and he sung the songs in a certain way. So I, I try to replicate, rather than imitate, I, I, I try to replicate the, the melody that he sings, because that's what people want to hear. They want to hear the melody as they remember it. There's nothing worse than hearing Elton John sing a song that he wrote, you know, 30 years ago and singing it in his new style. You know, and you, you think you hate that as well. Yeah. Where's yeah, he going too. with that? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that irritates me. So I would imagine that people want to hear the songs as Paul sung them. So I try to put the songs across as Paul did without, you know, getting into the kind of imitation. You know, I try to, I try to replicate what he did. And, and, and likewise on the guitar, he's got a particular guitar style that's, that can be quite aggressive. And to get the sound and the output that that he delivered, you you got you got to kind of give it a little bit of effort. Mm. You know? So yeah, I try to replicate what he did, 
you know, without without being a cringy, you know, imitator, if you like, you know, because I, I I don't know Paul from Adam, you know, I've kind of met him in passing once. It's not it's not really my thing to go to go kind of meet him. I, you know, we might not get on. You know, I see the way I see. I, I like Paul's music. You know, we might not get on. You know, so I, I wouldn't go and seek him out and say, "Oh, I like your stuff, mate." You know, it's not not really me. It's just the same way you wouldn't come and seek me out and go, "Oh, Dale, I, I like your electrical work." Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, 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 no more that he would he seek me out and and, and well, it's very impre- he's very impressive there, Darren. You shouldn't understand that, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. So so I let him I let him live his life, and I and I appreciate the music he puts out. You know, that's how I kind of see it. But there were times, obviously, in those early days as well where Paul you mentioned playing the guitar Paul's packed the guitar away it's in a box behind the stage it's, it's, it's back in, at home or whatever and it's yeah. just him with the microphone usually with a big long lead and quite a bit of dancing so is that was that ever a consideration? Not really not for me no, <laughs> I'm, no my, my dancing won't you know is is not good enough to do indoors, let alone. <laughs> <laughs> but they were they were they used. To, I mean, even D particularly, there was a lot of busting did, out yeah, some moves, wasn't there? Yeah, that's 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 one aspect that I can't replicate. Yeah, sadly. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, there's obviously only one Steve White. There's only one Mick Torbert. There's only one DC Lee. So let's sure. talk through those members of your band. And I mean, Steve White's an incredible drummer, isn't he? I and mean, goodness me, and, and yeah, and such a huge part of Paul's well as solo sound for so Indeed, long as well. Yeah. How did you find your Steve White? He's a lad called. Craig Reed, who is is by the way a fantastic drummer, relatively young lad, early thirties, is a lovely fella and a great player. Him and Al, the bass player, who is another tremendous player, by the way, they lock together. And without those two, we wouldn't be half the band we are. You know, if they they are so tight together. But Craig, he's you know he, he's not Steve White. He's the first to admit he'll perform the songs in the way that comes across as if it was Steve White playing. Steve's an exceptional drummer. There's probably not another drummer like Steve. But if you've seen Craig play, there's no room for criticism, you know, and say, you know, he's, he's not up to the job. He is by a mile. Fantastic player. He wasn't the first uh, drummer that, that we had. Initially, I put an advert out for a jazz drummer and uh, a guy came along who was very, very jazz influenced. And he played a couple of shows with us, but it, it wasn't really for him. He, he didn't really fancy committing to it. He ran a drum school. He had he had some other issues where he, he couldn't devote the time to it. So we were on the lookout for someone else, and Craig and Craig came along. Does he get his Steve White moments? Does he get the dropping bombs on the White House solos? Yeah, we, yeah, we do. We do a medley. We do the Money Go Round medley from um, from Home and Abroad, where it goes from Money Go Round into Soul Deep into Strength for Your Nature. There's some breaks in there, some drum breaks in there that you know he plays. And does a fantastic job of it, yeah, I've got to say. Let's talk Mick Torbert as well, because actually thinking, he was talking about Cafe Blur, I mean, all the little Mick ditties, the, you know, starting with Mick's Blessing, Mix Up, we had, and you know, throughout the whole Style yeah. Council, all that kind of stuff as well, those instrumentals, were also such a key part of the Style Council live too. Talk to me about Mick in your band. Up until recently, probably a year ago, my pal Steve Hayes was was played the Mick part. He formed the band with me back in, in the early part of 2014. Great voice. He did a fantastic job of Homebreakers and he, he's kind of, um, background was a solo pianist, used to do a lot of cruises, very accomplished pianist and vocalist, great voice. So he played all the, all the mic parts up until recently when he sadly decided that life was getting in the way a little bit. So he had to take the decision to step aside for personal reasons. So our other keyboard player, Keith, stepped up. Who, who is a bit of a maestro on the choir, very, very accomplished pianist. And we started to, we started to bring in things like mixed blessings. 
So now in our current set, he does a little rendition of Mixed Blessings, which goes down great. That's not an easy one to play, though. That, no, it? no. I mean, it's only, what, a minute, 20 seconds, something like that? Yeah, but it's a, it's a very tricky tune to play. He smashes it, you know, and it's and it goes down well. It goes down well. It's, it's a nice kind of interlude in the set, you know, and it's... Uh, Brilliant. Oh. Yeah, and then great. talk to me about, um, this is Danny Clay, your DC. Danny Clay. Yeah, what can I say about Danny? Fantastic. She's a superstar, really. She really is. Yeah, she, she's really the star of the band. Fantastic voice. She nails it every night. What else can I say? Yeah. There are moments, obviously, as well, where the interesting thing is style comes. So it's not a, I mean, obviously it's a Paul Weller band and he's writing the lyrics more often than not. Every member of the style council had their moment to shine on different songs, didn't they? And there were elements where B took the limelight live and on record and Paul kind of stepped back and it was yep. her vocals and stuff like that. So if you're part of a band, the four of you having your different moments must be really cool and really exciting to be part of a band. It's not like you're, you're never background in the style council, are you? No, that's right. Danny, um, she takes the lead on Paris match and obviously there's the interplay on on things like head start where you know we do a verse each big boss there's that question and answer kind of thing which works really well like i say keith does his, his solo bit you know everyone has a chance to, to shine even down on percussion there's instrumental breaks he's <laughs> he's got the, we, the the band nicknamed him salad some years back because uh, when he first came on board, somebody said, why are we bothering with a percussion player? It's like salad. You can kind of take it or leave it. You, know, you, don't, you don't really need it. So then he came on stage and, and we played the show. And then afterwards, the, the guy that said it said, I've got to take that back. It's unbelievable what it adds. You know, and Dan is, is truly, a fan. again, I keep saying it, but and I'm not just saying this. They are all fantastic players. Dan is no exception. But he's, he's affectionately known as Salad in the band. I, I never even knew I loved Salad, but now I <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Now, look, I, I mentioned on social media that we were chatting and some of the fans got in touch, okay? So let me, t- let me ask some of these questions, all right? So this is Joe Nellis on Twitter. It says, great band. They have a very authentic sound. Can you ask Daz what Style Council song is the most difficult to replicate and capture the energy of the Style Council's live stage sound on? So this is not just what's difficult to say, but to, but to really get the Style Council feel across, the sound of it across, what's difficult? What's the difficult ones? Some, sometimes it goes down well. I guess, um, I guess money go round. We kind of do two verses, two choruses, and then go into Soul Deep. Sometimes when we're playing, and it's different every night, of course, in a live context, but some nights that feels electric when you kick off with that. And some nights, not so much. And you you kind of feel yourself, I need to step this up, you know, and give this a little bit more grunt, you know. But I guess that's the same with any band. But that one, it really does depend on the bass sound and, and how heavy the drums are in, are in the mix because it's bass and drums heavy, as you know. And if, they're, if, if the out front sound isn't up to scratch that is the first song to suffer, I would say. That's interesting, isn't it? Because so much of it being in a band and, and performing live is about confidence as well, isn't it? And it's like, you know, if you're not, how's it going to go? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not so much of a worry these days, having played them songs so much. But what affects it for me is is the sound, you know, that we could be playing to kind of 500 people or 50. If the sound on stage, and I guess every musician will tell you this, if the sound on stage is brilliant, you'll have a great time. If it's poor, you probably struggle you won't enjoy it certainly i don't you know as much you know the crowds might be really into it they might be having a great time but it won't be as enjoyable for me because if the sound's not as good as it can be it affects me 
I guess that's true with any musician, you know. There are songs in Paul Weller's set list now where, and we were talking about this on the podcast a couple of weeks back, where if he were to drop them, people would be almost kind of outraged, right? And it's kind of, you know, there's such a massive back catalogue, but for him singing things like, you know, You Do Something To Me and Wildwood and Into Tomorrow, people are like, oh, he didn't play Malice, for instance, and stuff like that. What's the one that you cannot drop from your Style Council set? If you if you never played it, people will be like, what? It's either Shout To The Top or Walls Come Tumbling Down. When you play those you can see that they instantly catch people's attention. Even if you're at a festival where it's it's a lovely sunny afternoon and people are chilling to you're the best thing, and then you play shit, you know, they'll, they'll just be sitting watching, you know, and then, then you play those two songs and it has a reaction, you know, it creates a reaction. Nine times out of ten, yeah. Right, Jed Life says, um, I don't watch too many tribute gigs personally, but I do make an exception for these guys. They're a great band. It's always lovely to hear, isn't it? Suzanne mm. Williams said, I saw them Saturday night. Derek Rusling. So on Twitter, at the time of recording, we've just celebrated the, what would it be? The, uh, I'm trying to do the math, 36th birthday of the Orange album, Cost of Loving album. He says, what's his view on that album? He said, also, I've seen you several times. I think you're brilliant. What's your view on the on the Orange album? What's my view? Um... I think it's, it's got some great songs on it. There's, there's some fabulous songs on it. Heavens Above, The Cost of Love in Itself. I like it. Fairy Tales is a, a cracker. Yeah, we, we play several of those. Not all the time, you know, we try to vary it a little bit. It got some bad press, didn't it, that album? And I, I'm not sure if I agree. You know, you're either a Style Council fan or you're not. You know, I, that's not to say that you've got to like everything. I think on the whole, it's, you know, it's, it's not their best album, but it's got some cracking songs on it. It's really interesting with the Style Council. When you think about it, I remember Ian Munn, Mr. Cool's Dream, who I do have a question from, which I'll share with you in a second. But I remember him saying about when he first created that first book, nobody was really interested in the Style Council. It was because of how it ended, maybe, or Paul's solo career launching, whatever. It was like something people didn't kind of necessarily talk about being a big fan. Was now people really do talk about that band being very special and retrospectively now talking about those albums, those singles again. But there was a time where if you'd have launched this band maybe in 2001, it wouldn't be where it is now, I don't think, do you? Probably not. And I think that's a general thing, Dan. I mean, if you go back 20 years, you know, the likes of The Alarm weren't touring, From the Jam weren't touring, Bad Manners weren't touring. All these bands that have come, have come back to do, you know, retrospective tours, it was it was a kind of lull in the kind of music industry. At the end of Oasis, when when all the guitar bands kind of died out, Live music seemed to take a big dip, if memory serves. So you're right, and it's a resurgence of late, yeah, in the, in the last 10 years, where all these bands have come back on the circuit, and you can go and see Feel Goods, or you can go and see, like I say, From the Jam, all, all these all these bands that from the 80s, you can go and see them again, and they put on a fantastic show, Nine Below Zero. The truth have, have been treading the boards. And, uh, yeah, lots of these bands that, that we watched back in, in the old days are back now. Um, so I think it was a general thing, not not just a, a style council thing. I think it was a general music, live music scene thing. It died out, you know, at, at that time. There was also a period, I think, even like, you think like late 80s, early 90s, it wasn't cool to like the Beatles. Like the Beatles are like, really the Beatles, you know, which yeah, <laughs> seems yeah. bizarre. Disciples, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mr. Cause Dreams, Ian Munn, Mr. Cause Dreams, his question says, ask Darren about his collection of authentic guitars and pedals. That's a weird one coming from Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a weird one. 
What have you got? Anything? What's the answer to that question? Well, um, yeah, I, d- I don't know how many people would be interested <laughs> in that kind of thing. Well, but... like, look, hey, if it's only Ian, that's fine with me because uh, yeah, he's, he's yeah. a god for the Star Council point of view, right? Well, as we kind of mentioned earlier, all or nothing, that kind of ethos spreads to equipment as well. So I've got a, a 60s Epiphone Casino, which is a, a signature style council guitar. I've got some old Vox lead 100 amps that Paul used and some old 80s Boss pedals, the, the CE2 chorus pedals. I've got a 70s Ricky Maple Glow 12 string that you used, you know, you'll see it on that video, uh, Showbiz. Yeah, a 70s Telecaster that he used. Kind of The guitars that he used at the time, I've kind of, over the years, tracked them down and uh, and picked them up where I can to use live. You know, I've got the, the old deep-bodied jazz guitar. I've got, I've got a, a Yamaha, I think it's a, an AE 1200 that Paul used in the middle part of the style council, the big jazz, and, a, and an Aria Herb Ellis jazz kind of, you know, box. Yeah, so the guitars that he used, I try to I try to get hold of if I can. Have you got the Wham one? What was that? That was Milton Keynes. Yeah, that, that was, right? yeah, the Wham, that was, that was an old Ricky. I did have one. I did have, I sold that. Yeah, so that was an old Ricky 330 with the with the artwork on the front. Yeah, I did I did have one at, at one time. Yeah, I'll, I'll let that go, though. <laughs> with a yeah. tear in his eye, folks. <laughs> well, yeah. look, if we've, if we've still got any listeners left after that uh, Muso info, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let me ask you about the documentary, because obviously fairly recently, what was it, Tale of, of COVID-2, I think, the sequel, um, we had that Style Council documentary. Thanks. And actually, Paul gets asked all the time, you know, would you get the jam back together? Nobody's ever asked him, would you get the Style Council back together? And, and there's so many people that actually would much rather see that. And we saw it. There it was, the end of that documentary the four of them playing a song together. Wasn't it lovely? Brilliant. Yeah. Well, a great arrangement of that track. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm assuming that was as much a surprise to you as it was to the rest of us. Or had you had a leak, had you heard of it? No, no. We was, uh, the, the guys that made that film, Mark and Lee, they had contacted us some six months prior to that airing and asked if they could come to one of our shows and film us with the possible intention of, of putting some, you know, some clips into, into the back end of the documentary. So they did, they came along to the hundred club the summer before the, uh, before the launch of that. They filmed us, but sadly, um, I think they said they took 24 hours of footage or something, something like that, something mad. Nuts. How you cut, uh, how you but, cut those things down, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it just, you know, with the, the content, the Mark had said to me when Paul agreed to do that, that song at the end, he said, that's kind of where your bit wouldn't fit it in. He said, and he goes, if, if a choice between the two, you know, it's it. <laughs> so I can completely understand why you went yeah. with Paul instead of me. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a privilege to be asked for the, you know, in the first place and for the guys to come down and take some footage of us. Yeah. Very grateful for that opportunity just, just to have the chance. And I imagine that documentary, well, I, I wonder if it did a, f- a few things. I mean, one, it, it heightened interest in the band, the Style Council, even more than before. And it already, I think it was on a bit of a surge around that time too. But suddenly your band is also popularity alongside that must have, you know, there must have been a knock-on effect of that, I would have thought. But the other thing I, I find really interesting would be probably true of Paul Solo as well, right? So there's lots of Style Council songs in Weller's solo set list these days. And that performance there with the four of them together, does that influence any of what you're doing as a band? Do you see him doing solo stuff and think, oh, that's just a different way of presenting it? Or that arrangement you mentioned there with the four of them back in the room together for the documentary, does that influence, you know, those influences come back into your band at all? The only time it has is the Long Hot Summer arrangement. I think I, I heard um, an arrangement he did, it would have been about 92, 93, early, very early doors in his solo career, he did, did a version of it 
where there was some nice touches in the recording, the live recording. So we kind of pulled on those to create this new arrangement. So that, that's the only time, it, you know, I, I'm a little bit particular about getting the arrangements right. So I'd rather keep them as they were. Otherwise, you might as well go and see Paul do them. That's a really good yeah. point. A few more questions from the fans. Uh, so um, this is Laura Lakin again, just saying how great you are. I've seen them several times, including their first gig in Brentwood. So would that wow. have been the first one? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. Wow. <laughs> John Gregory, what Style Council song gives you the most pleasure as musicians to perform? Personally, I think I really like Head Start for Happiness because of the interplay in the vocals and the, you know, the verses. And it was a tricky one to learn. So it was a challenge to learn. Uh, the chords were a little bit tricky to get that. And the timing's a little bit quirky. There's some pushes and things that, that are not straightforward. So that I, I really like that one. Walls is a great one because we use it as a closer. Everyone joins in, you know, the crowd love it. And it's just a great closer. Probably those two. Big Boss I like. That's a good one to mention, actually, because so many of the, I mean, I know that, I don't know, I think that was maybe a double A side, wasn't it? But so many of the Style Council singles had these great B-sides, didn't they? Yes. Again, that's, that's, you know, Paul's songwriting for you. You know, he's got so many good songs. You know, he he can afford to put crackers on on the B-side, you know? Yeah. yeah. Are you popping Uh, spin drifting in your set list? Because that's a corker. Yeah. Occasionally we played that, spin drifting and um, Piccadilly Trail is another, is another one that's, you know, put in from time to time, which is another great song yeah so many good songs yeah <laughs> now you're already thinking about the set list for the next uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like, i've forgotten about those yeah um, <laughs> so back on tour spring i mean when you started out i bet you can't believe where we are now and the venues you're playing and the the scale of this thing and the fact you're going on these decent sized tours around the uk and you're amazing beyond yeah that, right who would have thought big part of that is is down to the the guy that promotes us adrian gibson AGMP. He's been fantastic to us. You know, he kind of pinged me a message. Well, that would have been about 2015. And he said, you fancy a one-off gig at the 100 Club? And I was I was kind of suspicious. I thought I didn't know who he was at the time. So I, I just ignored it. Thought, you know, a lot. And then I got another email some months later. I said, you know, do you want a, a gig? So, so I agreed, you know, and, and we went along. It was really quite popular. Thursday night, I think it was. It just grew from there. We did a couple of, a couple of uh, shows f- with Adrian. And then he said, uh, one day he said, do you, want, do you want me to put a little tour together? He gave us some dates and we, and we went on it. And it's just grown from there. He's been a big supporter of ours. It's a big thanks to Adrian for, for kind of where we are. He does a fantastic job, you know, p- putting bands on. Yeah, but also the talent in the band, right? Because it would be really easy to do this thing really badly, wouldn't it? Do you know well, I mean? well so. for a little while, yeah, you wouldn't get very far. I mean, <laughs> you know, certainly not with Adrian. If we were crap, he'd drop us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty high sure I mean, I know, it's really, uh, pretty high standards, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the fact that he's stuck with us is, is a little bit of a boost. Now, the other thing that you've announced as well is a solid bond in your heart, 40th anniversary tour, starting September, actually at London's 100 Club, as you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about the idea behind that and what people can expect, because tickets on sale now, folks, and they will sell out if they haven't done already. We like to theme the tours we do so people kind of know what they're going to get. Obviously, it's going to be predominantly all the early, early, early stuff. With the second half, we'll have, you know, some of the big hitters in there. But we'll be trying to replicate the sound. If you remember the Gold Diggers show, some of the tracks on there, we might, you know, might put one or two of those tracks in there that will play there. Those arrangements. Yeah, it's harking back to the early days of the Style Council. 
which was a great time. And I've got some great memories of them early days. Yeah. Well, look, I've got some ideas for it. I mean, not that you need ideas, right? You obviously had a plan and we're seeing it through fruition, right? But uh, there's some, just some little thought starters for you in terms of where to take this next, right? Because, and this also just shows the experimentation of where Paul was at at the time. All right. So, so one of them, one of these tours, these gigs, right? You need to come on first. And then we have a Billy Bragg t- tribute act and a questions <laughs> tribute act. And then you come on after. Right. Yes. Right. Yes, yeah. Like they did. Okay. I don't know if you remember this. So this was council meetings part two. The three musketeers go wild. Have you heard about this? So the, so the initial idea of this was that there was meant to be like a play beforehand. Right. And then the style council would perform off the back of it. And they, it didn't happen because apparently the guy broke his leg. I'm not sure if this was true, but it's in the program. It's mentioned in the program <laughs> for council meetings part two. But you could dig out the scripts and you could have that. And then the other one, I think, have you ever thought of reenacting Jerusalem and doing that before you have the, the gig? Because that again was a the thing. They played the whole film of Jerusalem before the live. <laughs> yeah, gig, right? yeah. I was at the, yeah, I went to the Amos Mifodian show in there. Was it Amos Mifodian? I oh, know, or, um, or Royal Albert Hall. Oh, I can't remember now, but I, I did, I, I remember going. Yeah, I remember going. Yeah, but I, I'd probably pass on that. Oh, actually, and a fourth idea, a fourth idea, right? For your final concert, play a load of songs that nobody's ever heard before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was at that gig. Did I, you rip up your program? No, I don't. I don't remember anybody ripping their program up. To be fair, but I, I have got a funny memory of that program. I, I, I went on. Um, I made my way up to the the Royal Albert Hall with a pal of mine. Just on the off chance of getting a ticket, I said, should we go up and see if we can get a ticket from a tower? So he's gone, yeah, all right. So we jumped on the train, lovely summer's evening. We're hanging about outside and, and there's a, there's a tower there selling tickets. And he had this fella went up to him and said, have you got any single tickets, mate? Fella says, no, mate, I've got three in a row, 30 quid. He said, oh, come on, mate, I'll buy one off you. I'll give you 20 quid. So the bloke went, no, mate, it's, it's 30 quid for the three. I'm not splitting them up. So me, brains, I says, uh, I said, hey, mate, I'll have them three off you, 30 quid. So um, he said, all right, sells me the tickets. And I turned to the fellow, I said, yeah, mate, 20 quid for a ticket. <laughs> so, yeah, thinking I'm the brains of the outfit. He gives me the 20 quid. He looked at me like he could have killed me. So there, I, me and me pal, I got a ticket for a fiver each. We're slapping each other on the back. What a result. Goes in as a beer. Anyway, it gets, it gets close to the, to the stage time. So we said, let's go and find our seats. So he goes up and find our seats. Who's sitting next to us? But the bloke with the ump didn't occur to me at all. And he sat there with a face like thunder for the whole night. Man, I felt so awkward all night. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't remember, I do remember the show, but I don't remember anyone tearing programs up. Was your expectation that this would be like a greatest hit set though? Cause around that time, they're just no, released. I, yeah, without, yeah, without question, I thought it was going to be, when it said review, you know, um, I, I thought it was going to be like a, the back catalogue show. No, sadly not. It was okay. You know, I recognised one or two tunes, but the rest was all new stuff, you know, which would have, would have probably been better if, if I'd have been able to hear it a few times first, you know, which would have been nice. And I'm guessing because a lot of that wasn't, well, it was some of it was released much later. Some of it hasn't been released at all, I don't think. But yeah. I'm guessing a lot, a lot of that stuff, maybe Promised Land comes into the set list, but there's not a lot from that modernism time that, that comes in. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember what the, the, the set list, I mean, there was Like a Gun was on the set list, I think. Yes, yeah. I think Waiting on a Connection, which was one I'd heard before. But the rest, um, and there was, uh, there was one off of, I think there was one off of The Cost of Loving on there, if memory serves. Apart from that, 
Changing the Guard, I think, might have been on the set list. But apart from that, it was all new stuff. And obviously the album Modernism doesn't get released at the time, does later on on the box set and stuff, and the band fizzles out. Were you that, I mean, how did you feel? Were you, I mean, obviously you didn't know at that point that you're going to be in the Star Council. This wasn't, no, right. was, this wasn't a dream in your head. But how did you feel about the end of that band? It wasn't the same explosive finish as the jam. It fizzled out more, didn't it? It was one of those, yeah, if I remember rightly, I think I, it was a little bit of a disappointment. Oh, well, that's a shame, kind of, rather than, oh, no, what am I going to do now? next you know which is what a lot of the, the, the jam fans tend to remember feeling oh shane you know he was distraught when he went at the end of the uh, at the end of the jam I, I, don't, I, no, no, don't don't bring it up again you'll be listening to this you'll set him off <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't remember feeling that way it was just one of those things you know it fizzles out you know bands come bands go kind of thing you know just move on and it was yeah it was a little bit of wilderness and then you know obviously Paul came back and I think I was sitting in the car out in the countryside somewhere when I heard Wild Wood or Into Tomorrow one of those tracks yeah I thought blimey that's his back big time it wasn't the shock that jam fans kind of remember you mentioned that first band and how you were playing jam songs and then style cancel songs and all that kind of stuff obviously at the minute you can't Playing, you know, it's not like you can put a jam track. He never played any jam songs in the Style Council, and obviously there weren't any Weller solo songs at that time, obviously. Sure. Um, but you can't put any of these songs in your set list. The only one that he did through all those three iterations was Move On Up, which I know you do play at times. Yeah, we've played that once or twice, yeah. But there must be songs where you go, oh, that's such a brilliant solo song. Wouldn't it be great to perform that? There must be songs you're like, bloody hell, because there are songs that sound very Style Council-y in style. Yeah, Even think yeah. about like On Sunset as an album. There are songs where you could hear the Style Council doing those. Yeah, I sometimes, I, yeah. Is it tempting? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, um, I love Into Tomorrow playing that live. That's a great live track, particularly with the brass at the end. I could see us, I could see us playing that, you know, um, when you're driving along and, and, you know, one, one comes on the radio and you think that, you know, that's a cracker. It'd be nice to put that in. It would really go down well. Changing man would always goes down well. You know, that's, it always used to go down well in pubs. That's for sure. Well, look, maybe that's a future project, but for now we're loving the style counselors. Honestly, man, the amount of people who are saying on social media, how much they're looking forward to hearing you, how much oh, they're looking forward to seeing you live this spring, uh, later on this year as well. Uh, Thanks for joining me, man. I've got two final questions for you. As you'll know, probably, fingers crossed, because you've listened yeah. to the podcast, right? So you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. It can be The Jam. It could be The Style Council. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think you're kind of into them. Um, or it could be Paul Weller solo. What are you going to go with? One song. I think it'd be Changing Man. That's such a great track, melodically, I think. When you hear that, when you, that strikes up, whether it be in the arena where he's playing or in the, in the venue or even on the radio, you know, straight away it gets your attention. That's, it's got to be the one, I think, for me. I'm surprised, actually, because that hasn't been mentioned a huge amount of times on this podcast, and it is an absolute killer tune, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. There, there's probably a few that would say it's overplayed. He, he plays it all the time. Doesn't he? It does seem to be the only song that Absolute Radio player Paul Weller solo. Yeah, yeah. Or you do something to me, maybe, as well, right? But Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Final question. So the purpose of this podcast is to meet lovely people like yourself, to hear your stories of your love of Paul's music, your connections, and obviously to hear about the Style Counselors has been brilliant. But the whole purpose of this podcast is for me to get the interview with Paul Weller. It's the interview I never managed during my radio career. It never became an option. Uh, if it happens off the back of this podcast, what should I ask him? Yeah, that's a tricky one. What should you ask him? What would you like to know? What would I like to know? Well, as as I said before, you know, I'm kind of not, I don't know him from Adam, you know, and I'm not really one to pry, 
<laughs> it, it, it probably be something about you know uh, how did you get that sound on one of your records? You know how did you get how did you get the guitar sound on on one of your tracks? Yeah, I can't think of a specific, but there's been times where I think I wonder how he did that. I wonder if he used the pedal. I wonder if he did this. I wonder if he did that. Yeah, but I, I guess that will stay a mystery. He probably won't remember, right? Yeah, probably not. Yeah, and he's not—he's not really one, from what I've heard. But you know, he's forthcoming with that—that that kind of information. But one thing I'd love to know: Does he have some of the old guitars that he used to use in the Style Council? And if so, is he willing to sell any of them? <laughs> so that would be my question: If you got anything from the Style Council left over, would you be prepared to sell it? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> first dibs, first dibs. Yeah. Well, well I'll pass yeah, yeah. that on, man. <laughs> Darren, thank you so much for your time. I really love chatting with you um, good luck with what ne- what's next and we'll see you on the road in 2023 man brilliant thanks dan thanks for your time cheers mate my thanks once again to darren fletcher the style counselors the one and only tribute to the style council what a joy to chat with him about his career and the band and the influence that the style counselors had on him and his life Check out the show notes for this podcast, paulwellerfanpodcast.com for all the details about those tour dates that I mentioned as well. And make sure you get to see the Style Counselors live in 2023. Don't forget, whilst you're on the website, you can pop into my store as well. All our merchandise in there, t-shirts for the summer, your tote bags, your mug, and you can also buy a virtual coffee as well. Doing exactly that over the past week. Thanks you to Ian Hamilton. Hello, sir. Hi to Cookie. Says, just discovered your Paul Weller podcast. Great stuff. Thumbs up. Well, welcome on board, Cookie. Hi to Russell Cox. Says too many great episodes recently to pick just one. Have heard more new music and fresh stories via your brilliant podcast than any other source. Thanks, Dan. Well, cheers, Russell. Much appreciated. And thanks to you for your virtual coffee. Hello to Stephen McAllenon. Cheers to you for your generosity. Thank you so much. Hello to Alex McLaughlin, who says, I love the Andy Rosen chat, especially the unseen photos. That shot of Weller and Buckler post Brighton gig must be one of the last of those two taken together. But you're probably right, actually. Hello to Grant. Thank you to you for your virtual coffee. Hey, Duncan, who says, great work, Dan, mate. Keep on keeping on. Hope to see you again soon. Hi to Ian. Hello, Sean Wilson. Thank you to you for your virtual coffee and your generosity as well. You can get involved on my website, paulwellerfanpodcast.com. Now, here's something else I want you to do, okay? Make sure you're continuing to spread the word, social media, your Paul Weller-loving mates, the Jam fans, the Style Council. Spread the word. It's always much appreciated. You can get in touch on Twitter at WellerFanPod. Or if you just search on Facebook and Instagram, Paul Weller Fan Podcast, you can get in touch there as well. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.